I don't know if you noticed patterns that our pastor goes through in his preaching, but lately he has been emphasizing uh, certain doctrines of the Scripture. And uh, in case you don't know what that word means, it's a spiritual word. It's in the Bible. It's an important word. But a lot of times there are terminologies that we have no idea what they mean. And uh, so the word doctrine simply just means something that is taught. It is a principle. There are many different doctrines. Uh, There are false doctrines. There are true doctrines. There is sound doctrine. And we all need to know the difference. Uh, It's very important. It, It caught my attention that Pastor had... He preached on the doctrine of baptisms not too long ago. Very important doctrine. Uh, He he preached on the priesthood of the believer. A very important doctrine. And and those two are uh, very misunderstood. And I kind of want to follow that up. There are other kinds of doctrines I didn't mention. There are doctrines named after after people. Doctrines of Plato. Uh, three, Three of our presidents have their own doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine. The Truman Doctrine. And the Reagan Doctrine. The Pharisees in the Bible, they had their doctrine. Jesus said to beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Anybody know what the doctrine of the Sadducees was? There is no resurrection. There is no resurrection. That is a false doctrine. We, if we don't have a resurrection, then our faith is in vain, the Scripture says. It's a false doctrine. But at this church, at this place, we are not interested in the doctrines of Reagan or Plato or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. We are interested in one person's doctrine and his name is Jesus Christ. The doctrine of Jesus, and if you read about the doctrine of Jesus in the, in the Gospels, you find many uh, uh, responses and reactions to those doctrines. Uh, the, the Bible says that they were amazed at His doctrine. It confused them, His doctrine. Uh, he spoke with uh, His doctrine with authority. Jesus even spoke of His teachings. He said, uh, my doctrine is not my own, but Him that sent me. That was God. And we are interested in the doctrine, the teachings, the principles of Jesus. We are interested in the doctrines of the Scripture, of the Word. That is why we make much of the Bible here. That is why our pastor preaches verse by verse through the Scriptures because we are interested in what the doctrine of the Scripture says, what the Word, the Word who is Jesus, His doctrine is. That's what we're interested in. And I want to look at one of those doctrines this evening, and that is the doctrine of the Holy Ghost. The doctrine of the Holy Ghost. It is one of the most misunderstood doctrines in all of Scripture. The doctrine of the Holy Ghost. And there are two different uh, I, I would say ditches that a, a person can find themselves uh, when confronted with this doctrine. Many people, good people, I believe, probably, uh, have mysticized the doctrine of the Holy Ghost. They he is a mystical something. I don't, you know, if you were to ask them to explain it, it's inexplainable. Or it is associated with a feeling. With a feeling. On the other side of that ditch that people can fall into 
is that the doctrine of the Holy Ghost is just unimportant. It has no, he has, or whatever it is, has no place in my daily life. And both of those are equally wrong. Equally wrong. Um, I want to look at five things tonight. Five things about the Holy Ghost. And uh, you're in 1 John. If you look in chapter 5, verse 7, a wonderful verse of Scripture. If you don't have a King James Bible, you probably don't have verse 7 in your, in your Bible. And you should get rid of it and get the one with all the words in it. First John chapter 5, verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, that is Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Number one, I want to say that the Holy Ghost is a person. He's a person. The person of the Holy Ghost. And he, this person, He is the third person in the Trinity. We have the Father, the Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a person. He is not an inanimate object. He's a person. At the same time, the Holy Ghost is not your feelings or your emotions. He is a person. Now, you should be able to feel the Holy Ghost, but He is not your feelings. He is not your feelings. He is a person. He is a person. Well, how do we know that? Well, He has many names. Just like you do. You're a person. I hope you're not a robot. Most of us in here have multiple names. First name, middle name, last name. Some of us have multiple names. The Holy Ghost has multiple names. Eighty-nine times in your Bible, His name as the Holy Ghost is found. Only four times is the Holy Spirit. Turn over to John chapter 14 and we will find two of them. Another name of His is the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. He has many names. Maybe you have a nickname. But He's a person. John chapter 14 And uh, verse 16, Jesus is speaking, and I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter. That's a capital C. It's a proper noun. It is not someone who just comforts. This is a name. This is a name. I will give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. That's another name of the Holy Ghost. Keep reading. Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. He has many names. And here we have two of them in this, in this passage. The Comforter is his name. Spirit of truth is his name. Well, how else do we know that he's a person? Well, you're able to interact with him. Just as you are with anyone in this room, you can interact with people. And you are able to interact with the person... Of the Holy Ghost. Well, how, do, how can we interact with Him? Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are able to grieve the Holy Ghost. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're still into the day of redemption, Paul said in Ephesians. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's interaction. He is a person. In Acts chapter 5, 
we find an example of Ananias and Sapphira. And they come and they, we all know about their lie that they said they sold this property, they sold it for this much money and they wanted to look like everybody else, but they weren't. And they lied and, and Peter says to them, Satan hath put in your hearts to lie to the Holy Ghost. You can lie to the Holy Ghost. That's an interaction. That's an interaction. You can have communion with the Holy Ghost. Another form of that word is communication, speaking back and forth with the Holy Ghost. You can have fellowship with the Holy Ghost. You can have a relationship with the Holy Ghost. He is a person. He is a person. He is not a mystic creature. He is a person. And you need to know that. The Bible teaches that. The person of the Holy Ghost, but... He's not just a person, but number two, he has a place. The place of the Holy Ghost. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I hope you have your Bibles because I'm going to have you turn to some Scripture because I want you to see what the Scripture says. But he has a place. I'll read you while you're on your way there. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. The Bible says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the capital Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. We have a question here. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6. We have another question very similar to the first question that tells us about the place of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not just number one, that the Holy Ghost is a person, but that He has a place, and that place is within every saved individual. Through His indwelling, dwelling in every saved individual, John chapter 3 says that we are born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit, that is the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, and every single person that has believed on Jesus Christ, repented of their sin, confessed with their mouth, and has received the salvation of God, has the Holy Ghost living inside of them. A person without the Holy Ghost cannot be saved. Around here... You knock on people's doors and you ask them the question, which is a very good question, have you ever been saved? They know exactly the answer to give you. Or, and some people even know the answer, have you ever been born again? Born again. Both are great questions. And people know the answer to give that you, you are wanting to hear. We want to hear them say yes. But people can lie. And another way to ask that question, same question. Hello, sir. I'm from Sweet Springs Baptist Church. I'm just here to ask you, do you have the Holy Ghost? If you were to do that, they would look at you funny. Real funny. What are you talking about ghosts around my house? (laughs) I don't believe in ghosts. There is no difference between the questions. 
A person that does not have the Holy Ghost cannot be saved. Pastor, when he was preaching on the baptisms, he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that is the equivalent of salvation. The equivalent of salvation, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And many people can trust in different things for their salvation. Growing up in church, you know the right answers. You know what to say. And you know how to say it. You know how to act. And that's good. But it must be real. And if I were to ask each person in here tonight, do you have the Holy Ghost? If there's a question, you ought to do a personal checkup with the spiritual doctor. A prayer never saved anybody. Prayer did not die on the cross for your sin. As good of a church as this is, this church cannot save you. As often as you come, and you ought to come every time the doors are open, filling a spot in the pew cannot get you to heaven. Getting into a baptistry cannot get you to heaven. And saying a prayer, whether uh, when it was at VBS or when you're 45 years old, cannot get you to heaven. Believing on Jesus gets you to heaven. Jesus saves, not baptism. Jesus saves, not the church. Jesus saves, not your family. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter if your dad was a missionary. You need to be saved. You need to be, doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter that my dad was a pastor. I needed to trust Jesus for my salvation, not the fact that my dad was the pastor of the best church in the county. Amen. 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 Deeds cannot save you. Your ministry in the church cannot save you. Your Sunday school class, teaching it every week, and you ought to do that with all of your heart, and that is good, cannot save you. However many gospel tracts you pass out cannot save you. And I'm for passing out gospel tracts, preaching on the street. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot save you. Jesus saves you. And if you're trusting anything but Jesus, and if you don't know if you have the Holy Ghost, the Bible says you need to examine yourself. And I'm, I'm not, I, I can't stand those preachers that cast doubt. But statistics, math says that everyone under the sound of my voice has not believed on Jesus. It is estimated that 60 to 80% of people who attend church have never been saved. Statistics. Over 50% of born-again Christians, I read this today and I could not believe it, Over 50% of born-again Christians believe that you can be saved through another way besides Jesus. And I'm just here to say that Jesus is the only way. The only way. And you can say the right words and do the right thing, but Jesus is the way. And if you have trusted on Jesus, you have the Holy Ghost. His place is within you, the Bible says. He dwells within you. And that should be that question of do you have the Holy Ghost, that should not be a question of doubt. <laughs> Quite the opposite. It is a question, it, it is assurance. He is, he is the assurer of our salvation. The Bible says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that if our heart condemn us, that God is greater than our heart. 
The question of do you have the Holy Ghost is not a gotcha question. But it's a question of do you have, the, are you, have you been saved? I will never forget my time when I was a missionary in, in Greece. And I had this uh, encounter. We had a man, uh, every two weeks we had people from different churches coming over to help us. And um, during that time, we were there for a year. And during that time, a man from the United Kingdom came to help us. He stayed with us for several months. And uh, he was a very nice man. He would stay for hours. And we stayed hours, but he would stay even more hours than us. Passing out tracts, preaching on the street, witnessing to people. He was on fire for the Lord. And he, we didn't know him. He didn't know us. He just wanted to help. And so we got to be uh, friends with him through our ministry there. And one day after being on the street for several hours, passing out tracts, preaching, holding signs, we went to go get something to eat. And uh, on the way there, we're just chit-chatting as you normally do. And he didn't know me. That was when he first kind of got there. And he asked me about my testimony. And that kind of always put me on the edge when somebody asked me my testimony. Like, well, you, you don't think I'm saved? Well, that was good. You never should be ashamed to give your testimony if you have one. If you have one. But he asked me my testimony. He asked me how I came to know Jesus. And I told him that when I was uh, almost six years old, uh, February 2nd, 1999, I was on my bed. And my dad gave me a, a tract that had pictures in it. And I trusted Jesus Christ right there on my bed. I was five years old, almost six. And he could not believe that. He could not believe that. That someone as young as I could say and still believe that I had been saved at five years old. He, it, it, he was dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. And he looked at me, and it was a very good question. He said, how do you know when you were five that that was real? It's a good question. I've talked to many teenagers about their testimony, not just here. And, and, and many teenagers have that same question. How, how do I know that that was real? That that was real? And when he asked me that question, I, I kind of... Did a Nehemiah prayer there. Lord, help me. I don't want to say the wrong thing and sound stupid or say something that's a, uh, sacrilegious either. And I thought a minute, and I believe what happened. The Holy Ghost of God on the inside of me started bouncing on the inside of my walls like a, like a, a, a ping pong paddle. And uh, he said, hey, tell them about me. And, without, and just a couple seconds passed by as he said that. I said, well, I... I I know that that was real because I have the Holy Ghost. He looked at me. I said, you know, it's, it's a difference. There's, having the Holy Ghost is different from having a sense of morality. You can know right and wrong, but having the Holy Ghost in you is something entirely different. Entirely different. I can know that lying is wrong, as an unsaved person, but if I do it, I don't feel bad about it. But if I lie, oh, I am of all men most miserable. From five years old even until now. If I miss a day of devotions, or multiple days of devotions, oh, am I a miserable individual. Why? I have the Holy Ghost. And He assures me that I am saved. He is the assurance. He, that is His place 
inside of me. He's a person. He has a place. And that's in, the, in, in every saved individual. And not, not only that, but number three, we'll look at the proof of the Holy Ghost. The proof of the Holy Ghost. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, we can't see on the inside. Man looketh on the outward. I can't tell who has the Holy Ghost in here and who doesn't. But I can tell if somebody's filled with Him. I can tell. The Spirit of God has filled an individual and it's flowing over. I can see the filling of the Holy Ghost in somebody. I can see that in our pastor when he preaches. When he gets up here and I pray every Sunday, Oh God, would you please fill our pastor with the Holy Ghost of God. And I can see him filled with the Holy Ghost as he preaches with power every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night when he's here. You can tell when somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the proof, proof of the Holy Ghost. But turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Not just being filled with the Spirit is evidence to this earthly eye of someone who has the Holy Ghost. Not just being filled, but also look in Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. The, uh, the Scripture says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Drop down to verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Another proof, another evidence to this earthly eye that someone has the Holy Ghost is not just if they are filled with Him, but if they are walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. If they have a relationship. Amos says that if... Can two walk together except they be agreed? If you walk with the Spirit, you are agreeing with Him. And you, are prop- you should be communicating with Him and having a relationship with Him. In Sunday school, we've been preaching about what it means to walk with God. What, what it means to walk with God. And I've been preaching that it starts, number one, with morning devotions. It starts... With morning devotion. Psalm chapter 5 verse 3. David says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. And morning devotions consist of Bible reading and prayer time. Bible reading and prayer time at the same place and the same time. Every single day and every Christian should start their day with morning devotions. But morning devotions is not walking with God. Morning devotions is not walking in the Spirit. That must continue. Fifteen minutes of Bible reading and five minutes of prayer time is not walking with God. That is the start, the first steps. And as we continue our day, God speaks to us as we meditate and think about His Word. But the problem is most people don't meditate on the Word because they haven't read it that morning. Because they, instead of spending their time in the Word, they spent that time on TikTok. God help! TikTok is of the devil and God hates it and I have a Bible verse for it. I can understand, almost, teenagers on TikTok. I cannot understand grown adults on TikTok. That is shameful. Especially when they haven't read their Bible. 
And we are not able to continue walking in the, with the Spirit and with God if we have not spent time in His Word and are thinking about what we have read. And as we think about what we read, He speaks to us, and then we speak back to God. That is communication. And the, the key part in having a good relationship with a person is communication. You must have good communication to have a good relationship. You must. I believe that Miss Heather and Josh have a good relationship, and that is because they communicate a whole lot. If they were to count up the hours that they have spent communicating, verbal and nonverbal, that is the, the start that cultivates a good relationship. A good relationship. And God speaking to us as we meditate on His Word, and we speaking back to Him, praying without ceasing, the Bible calls it. That is communication. And then God is able to use His Spirit, to use the Holy Ghost, to direct our path. Over and over in Scripture, you read about being led by the Spirit. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. In another passage, uh, the Bible says that the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Like you drive a car. That means he wasn't in control. That's Jesus, the Son of God. Let the Spirit drive him into the wilderness. Yielded unto God. Yielded unto the Spirit. That's having a good relationship and walking in the Spirit and with the Holy Ghost. Well, what's another proof of the Holy Ghost? Well, you're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Did not Jesus say, By their fruit you shall know them? And here we have nine spiritual characteristics that make up the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And you cannot have the fruit of the Spirit if you are not walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit and yielded to the Spirit. You cannot have that fruit. And if you are instead fulfilling the lust of the flesh and doing the works of the flesh earlier in that chapter, you have the list. You, you don't have that fruit if there's, if there's wrath and envyings and, and all of those things that he lists there. There is no joy, love, long-suffering. There is none of that. And by their fruit you shall know them. And you cannot have fruit of the Spirit without being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. The proof. The proof of the Holy Ghost. But He's not just a person and He doesn't just have a place and there's not just proof, evidence of where He is. But He has a purpose. The Holy Ghost has a purpose. He has a job to do. He has a work to accomplish. We read about one of them already. It's His name, Comforter. That's His job. It's not just His name, but He gives comfort. If you, if you uh, look in John, you don't have to turn there, in John chapter 16, his, his, another job of His is to reprove. The Bible, Jesus said that His Spirit was to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's his job, is to reprove of sin, whether that be in someone who's lost and doesn't have him, or whether that be in the person that he indwells, 
to reprove of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He's a reprover. He's a reprover. He's also a teacher. We don't have time to turn there, but you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. And those verses say basically that we are unable to understand the Scripture without the Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God. He is the one that teaches us. Teaches us. He's not just a comforter, a reprover, a teacher. But turn to Ephesians. We've got to read this one. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance and the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Chapter 4, verse 30, just a page over. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Ghost of God, His job is to seal you if you're saved. And that seal will never pop off. Amen. Amen. That seal is sure. It's steady and it will always be there. He's a sealer. He keeps your salvation. And that's why you can't lose it. Because He's got it. Amen. He's a, the purpose of the Holy Ghost, His job is the comforter, the reprover of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, the teacher of the Scriptures, the sealer of your salvation, and lastly, the empower. And that brings me to my last point. The power of the Holy Ghost. You know where I'm going. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I was reading in my study today about some of the powerful things in the world. Just what the internet had to say, because you know the internet's true. I read about powerful nations... The stars and stripes came up first. Power. Powerful leaders, they come and they go. They have power. Then I looked at nature. Nature has a lot of power. Think about the sea and the power that the sea has. There's a video on YouTube, and there's this big freight ship, cargo ship, whatever you want to call it, and it was in some, I don't know where it was, but those waves were incredible. And that, that big old thing dipped straight down like that and then came back up. And just the power to move that much weight is incredible. The sea has so much power. Earthquakes have power. They can demolish whole cities that it took centuries to build just like that. That's a lot of power. Wind has power. We know, we know a little bit about wind and its power around here. You don't have to remember too far back to 2011. Thought, thought about the animal kingdom. Lions and their power and their jaws. Elephants. How powerful they must be. Whales. That with their tail they can just... Done if you're on even a 
kind of a big boat or ship. I found that there was a beetle. I won't tell you what it does. But there was a beetle that can lift a thousand times its body weight. Now, you can do the math on how much that would weigh for you. That's powerful for a little bug. A thousand times its body weight. What do you think of when you think of powerful things? I read about a poison that had power. It's called botulinum botulinum toxin. And it only takes .00000 milligrams to kill you. Powerful. To kill the human body. I read about something that the Navy has called an electromagnetic railgun. It can take an object that's 18 inches long, weighs 23 pounds, and send it 5,000 miles an hour in .01 seconds. Now, just think about that. 18 inches long, 23 pounds, and in .01 seconds, it's going 5,000 miles an hour. That is some power. Some power. Maybe some, some guys in here think of power as 800 horses underneath the hood of your car. Or how much weight you can power lift. There's some powerful things in this world. I read in Scripture about the prince of the power of the air. There are many powerful things in this world. And many of them, especially on the spiritual side, are out to destroy your life. And the only thing that can help you combat those powers is this power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And there are many powerful things in this world Things that are temporal, but there's spiritual power in this world as well. And listen to me, church. You cannot afford to go one day without the power of the Holy Ghost resting upon your life and upon your, and upon your family. You can see the power of the Holy Ghost demonstrated in creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord went upon the face of the waters. And that was creation. The power of the Spirit was involved in creation. There's power in the church. Amen. Power in the church. I don't have time to read the verses on that. But you need that power. And our church needs you to have that power because you're part of the church. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and I'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. That same power that can move upon the face of those waters and cause that first day of creation to come to pass. The same power that Ephesians says that you can be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the power in the Christian that you need. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And he, that's Jesus, said unto me, that's Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect 
in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. And church, the, the Holy Ghost, He is a person. He has a place in you if you're saved. And you can show evidence, proof of Him in you. And He has a purpose. But listen to me tonight. He has power and you need His power in your life tonight and tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You need it next week and next month and next year if the Lord doesn't tarry. You need His power. And we need to be like Paul. Oh, how, how I long to have the power of God. I so desire that. You cannot be the mom that God wants you to be without His power. And the father that God has commanded you to be without His power. And the spouse that you are required to be without the power of the Holy Ghost. We cannot be the church that God wants us to be without His power resting upon us. We cannot be the Sunday school teachers, the, the, the van drivers, the, the children's church workers, the nursery workers, the sound man that we are supposed to be without the power of the Holy Ghost resting upon us. How badly do you want that? I, I want it so desperately. I don't want it just when I preach back there and sometimes in here, but I want it on Monday. I want it on Tuesday night at home. I want it on Wednesday. I so desire the power of Christ to rest upon me. And that's the power of the Holy Ghost. And Paul came to the point where he had all of these problems, all of these infirmities, and he said, if it's, if it's because of that, if it's because of my weakness, that your power will rest upon me, I will glory in those things. I will rejoice in my problems because I know that because of my problems, because I've been made weak, your power will rest upon me and upon my life. And that's what we need. That's what the Holy Ghost is able to do in our life. In our life. And that's why we need to have a good relationship with Him. So that we can have access to that power. And not quench it and grieve it and lie to it. Oh, how we need the Holy Ghost.